Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to a brand new episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. And this is your host, film critic, and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. Today, we're breaking the trend. We're doing just a single movie because we have this one final week, which you are in if you are listening or watching, uh, to talk about the holiday season. So what do we bring you? A classic, like 1984's uh, Santa Claus. No, no, we didn't. We brought you the classic 2003's Psycho Santa, which is currently available from SRS Cinema at srscinema.com on Blu-ray with the sequel, Psycho Santa 2, which was actually completed in, I think, 2009, no, 2006, and not released until 2021, so uh, or 2022, somewhere around there. So get on it. Get on that. And we're going to tell you all about it. With me today, I have longtime contributor Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Christ is king, everybody. <laughs> Christ is king. Let, let go. Let, let God. Okay. Uh, this is, this is, uh, yeah. So this is our last holiday episode of uh, 2022. It is actually our last episode of 2022. I want to say that 2022 has been a great year for Colton Classic Films podcast, although it has been a turbulent year for every other aspect of existence on Earth. Fuck this year. Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, 2023, let's let's just hope it's uh, nicer for everyone involved. But I, I will see that we keep saying that every year since 2016. And it's just gotten more and more insane. I am um, I am I am not optimistic. I am pretty sure next year is going to be worse than this year. Well, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. But I do know that there uh, is a psycho Santa stock in the streets in 2003. Here's something that's interesting. This is a shot on video film. Uh, as I said, 2003 it was written and directed by a filmmaker named Peter Keir. Peter Keir is, he made one other film uh, after this and uh, a werewolf movie called Wolfika, which by the way, if any listener has a copy of this, please reach out to us because we would love to secure it because it is very difficult to find at the moment. Uh, and and that is Wolf Kika from 2006. Interestingly enough, the person who made the sequel, uh, Psycho Santa 2, also only made two films. Uh, Psycho Santa 2 from 2006 and then uh, shot, I guess, additional scenes for a film from 2010. So it, this is, I don't know if this is a cursed project or what, but um, I'm ready to make Psycho Santa 3, uh, everybody. So let's, you know, let's let's get the Kickstarter going, crowdfund this. We are going to dissect this movie inside and out. 
it is a feature length film. It is shot on video. It is a micro budget film. There is kind of a high cast uh, list. There's also very conflicting, very confusing reviews online of this movie. And I think I know some of the reasons uh, that we will talk about. Uh, also, very little information about this movie. I believe it was shot in Mississippi, uh, is my guess. I know one of the actresses is a Mississippi person, uh, resident. So that that's my my biggest go on in this. Plus, it's clear that they are uh, that many of the people involved are from the South, from their accents. So we can guess that. Psycho Santa. It is a movie about a psycho who dresses as Santa. Um, I'm not really sure. So we've watched a lot of Christmas horror films here, uh, both on the pod and in our own off the pod. And I have to say the Santa slasher subgenre is very full. There are, are many, I mean, Christmas evil, of course, the silent night, deadly night series, there's silent night, um, uh, violent night. Uh, there is the, the recent uh, Santa sort of diehard revenge movie with David Harbour, violent night. Uh, which is somewhat in in line with this, although sort of flip-flopped on the evil roles. And then you have, I mean, there are so, so many. I think there's like a, a Mean Santa, there's Santa's Slay, and then there's all the Krampus movies that sometimes mix a, a fighting Santa in there. Innumerable. This is one of the more like traditional slasher types, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, which I think if you're going to go towards like a sort of Halloween crazy killer Santa on the loose movie, uh, you're probably best sticking as far as quality wise with Silent Night, Deadly Night. That said, Psycho Santa um, it has its own charms. It has a lot of positives and a, certainly a lot of negatives. We're going to talk about it. I keep putting it off because I don't want to I don't want to miss out on on explaining that Psycho Santa is one of those special shot on video movies like so many that was filmed in 2003 it somehow seems like it's from like 1991 uh it just seems older and I think it's because 2003 like it's right in the era before smartphones took over our lives and that's just one aspect of it plus it's filmed in the south and anytime you have a film made in either the midwest or the south you tend to have um it tends to feel a little older because every other film is done on one of the coasts, which tends to be a little more electronically progressed. Uh, just, you know, it, it siphons internally into our country from the coasts. So that's not really an insult, but take it as you will. Psycho Santa is about uh, a crazy person who kind of get a little bit of a Michael Myers backstory, like he's just evil kind of thing, uh, who survives a fire. Uh, he was a killer before that, and he's a killer after that. What's weird about this movie is that it's actually, many people consider it an anthology film, which I don't. I don't think this is an anthology film. Uh, the reason being is that to me, an anthology film is a film made up of separate stories. They may have a tying thread. Um, this is made up of different scenes told chronologically from this uh, killer's life. So I feel like it's more akin to a movie that's just told in flashback with a framing story, um, which, which, you know, there's a lot of movies that do that this is sort of recounted to a girlfriend from a grouchy grinch boyfriend as they're driving to a friend's house for a holiday party he's telling her as they pass the, the locations of this some of this crazy santa's murders that uh that there's a crazy santa who uh, killed people was caught uh died uh, and then turns out didn't die and is still roaming free 
this is not a spoiler alert. We all know where this is going. Uh, at the end of the movie, the framing story uh, ends with the psycho Santa showing up and presumably attacking the couple. We don't really see the details. It's very abrupt. So, Tad, I'm going to bring you in here. Uh, I'm not going to ask if you've seen this movie. I know you haven't seen this movie until now. Uh, I hadn't seen this movie until now. What was your expectation for Psycho Santa? And what did you get now that you've watched Psycho Santa from 2003? You hyped up this movie, but I also got to see the trailer for it. And within about, I think, about 20 seconds of watching the trailer, I was like, all right, I'm all in. So yeah. I actually had some hopes, believe it or not, people who usually listen to me, <laughs> I actually was a little optimistic going into this. And I can safely say I actually was pleased to find that I enjoyed this a lot. And for multiple reasons, but I think it's because this was a palate cleanser after Sister Krampus. Anyone who listened to the last episode heard my complaints and I found that almost all my complaints were addressed by simply going back in time and finding someone who's more competent in making film. Uh, the music was actually really good. I was impressed for a very low budget film. The move, the music choice composition, I don't know what they did. I don't know if some of this stuff was... Okay in-house made i don't know Nate, do I, there you? is a there is someone credited as music i apologize i don't have his name in front of me um <laughs> so kudos to him i will say this again this movie is from 2003 the the music does work but it is this insane sort of like lady hawk vibe where it's like somebody made it on an older casio i know that's not the case but it sounds more like an amiga somebody you know did some some kick-ass digital music that would have fit, especially in the first segment of you know the, the story of Psycho Santa, which is uh, the most titillating. I, I know why they opened with this one, um, where two girls go to meet a girlfriend who isn't at the cabin they're supposed to meet at, but they say whatever, and they end up just kind of partying in lingerie, uh, including an extended shower scene with full frontal nudity. So all you creeps like us out there, that is in this movie. Um, <laughs> But they, while while they're dancing before the attack from Psycho Santa, the music is like, I'm like, is this Altered Beast? Like, am I playing an arcade machine from the 90s? Like, it is so arcade music. And that was the one moment where I was like, this is a little banana sandwich to me because this is this is totally, I just didn't expect to hear it. And then the rest of it, it's it's in that digital realm, but it it's more uh ominous sort of what i would expect from a slasher movie um i don't think any of the music is bad by any stretch i actually also really liked it but i did find that one scene <laughs> totally totally caught me off guard it's so a lot of the music is tuned in a way and composed in a, in a manner that makes it sound like a dirge so it's appropriate for the horror aspect of the movie that scene notwithstanding because I, i'll get to that in a second about it but uh but I, I really like the music. I actually would love to see if there is such a thing as a Psycho Santa soundtrack because I would love to add it into my Christmas rotation because I <laughs> kind of fucking hate regular normie Christmas music. Um, tons of punk bands, tons of metal bands have done either covers of, of Christmas music that I prefer or they have composed their own, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs is actually Red Water Christmas Morning by Typo Negative. For anyone who knows me, they know that's my favorite band. That's an amazing Bad Religion's Christmas, song. Christmas album is pretty fantastic. Bad Religion's well. Christmas album is fucking godly, which, and I love the irony just of Bad Religion. It is so beautiful. Christmas album. And they wrote like a really non like sarcastic 
no like, it's little played mini straight. statement about it yeah they they were like they were like listen we know what the sounds but we love christmas music it's very powerful it's, music and it is quite excellent it's not only played straight but for a guy like greg graffin to put something like that out it's it's borderline reverent the way they yeah, did that album it really and is so um I remember I complained about Sister Krampus about how there was like no sign of it actually being goddamn Christmas in the in the movie. Now for <laughs> yes. for a film that was clearly made in another climate that's not the north. So okay. first no off, snow. Mississippi can get snow. This was filmed in the it middle can. of summer. This was filmed in the middle Again. of summer. Yeah, because <laughs> why wouldn't you? Because it's cheaper. I'm just saying. <laughs> If you're going we had a to bunch do of that, cast members sweating their way through the winter clothes. <laughs> but at least there were at least nobody that I could tell had a fucking sunburn while they were filming. No, that is that is very true. But my point is is that if there's gonna be no snow on the ground, at the very least, have some sort of iconography or anything that in indicates that it's the holidays. There were strings of lights, a Christmas tree. As a matter of fact, tell me, Nathan, maybe you'll know this. When the couple, the 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 couple of the framing story is driving down the street, do you notice that there's a red tint on all the street lights all the way I down? Don't. And I liked that. I I was like, did they put a filter on it? I'm assuming they did because nobody can I'm, just go I'm change the light bulb. Assume, on, but on it also light. could be. It depends what they filmed it with too, because some cameras, when it gets low light, they they pull red. They, so red. it could just be that as well. But either way, I, I agree. It was I, either it whether it light. was whether it was accidental or not great stylistic addition and i liked it because it you know red's menacing at the same time but it's also a christmas color so it can be jolly at the same time so i liked that um also another complaint there were tits in this movie they weren't mm -hmm. top tier but there were tits so at least it's like okay they i won't understood. pass judgment on the quality of the nudity but no it was that's, there was the my and interestingly <laughs> enough often <laughs> In these movies, you're the people who ha who are nude at some point in time, or various undressed, or just in a sexy role. They get a lot of work doing that. But uh, in this, we have Sarah's two friends, or the the characters from the opening, Sequoia Rose Fuller and Rachel Michelle Knapp. And neither of them have they have a few movies literally within the same year of this, or or within a couple of years of this movie, but they didn't go on to be sort of uh, scream queens, which uh, is sort of sad because I'm sure that they could have been because that is really an option for a lot of people. I assume it's because Mississippi is not like the huge capital of uh, even, even regional cinema. So that's probably the case there. From a, from a directorial standpoint, there were characters, actual characters. And I mean, like that's a, that's a huge step up. Um, uh, the husband of the blind woman that mm -hmm. was murdered was like, he was a little muted, but mm -hmm. overall I loved his voice. I loved his presence. I thought, I it, thought I was he like, was the wow. most established feeling Ab actor. Absolutely. Um, Robert Lanham is his name, I believe. Uh, and he was in a, a movie called, he played another fa father in, uh, 2001's movie, Cremains, which is, I, I would say actually probably more well-known than this movie uh, and it is a legitimate anthology uh, directed and written by steve sessions but yeah i agree it's sort of when you have one of these move you know ultra low budget movies and you have somebody that kind of has a little gravitas um and probably even community acting experience of some kind it it stands out like like a spotlight uh and he had that for sure it was it was it was almost like um you know you get a you get a movie that costs five dollars and you and andrew divoff shows up randomly right. it's like what, yeah. what the hell just happened totally totally um 
uh, yeah uh so the cast to be clear they're not there's not the worst acting across the board there is certainly not the best acting i find that this one falls uh as you're used to to backyard movies ultra low budget micro budget movies this probably falls middle uh of, of like average quality and not the lowest but it also does not heighten to the level of like excellent uh we get a lot of people acting by facial expression which we got a lot of in sister krampus as well i don't think the holds were as long um one thing that and i think we, we've come to expect this from a lot of these budget movies is like sister krampus the pacing is glacial um and and it's you know they're not long movies they're essentially an hour and 15 minutes um uh, give or take and that's long kind for of, uh, for um, for for movies with low budgets. An hour and fifteen minutes is long, though. It, it like, is, it's and it's, again, because that was kind of considered standard. Uh, so a lot of times, releasing companies didn't want a movie that was shorter than an hour. That was shorter than an hour and fifteen. Now you can kind of get away with some that are even fifty minutes. Like for example, I think uh, like Adam Thorne, who we've had on here before uh, with with Assault of the Snake Man uh, and and Movement Passenger stuff. They're about fifty minutes, and it's great. It's a breeze, and it doesn't allow for padding. Um, for example, we get the 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 shower scene early on, and it's intercut with an incredibly long segment of her friend choosing yeah. rocks. She's tasked with finding three white rocks outside. And we see a catastrophically long moment. If it wasn't for the fact that there was full frontal nudity interspliced every 45 seconds to a minute between this. But again, you, you it's not, it's not probably the best decision to have a scene where you have to show full nudity throughout it for it to be tolerable um you could have just undid that they also there were some opportunities um that if they if they had another cast member or something available they could have they could have had her getting rocks and they could have had little things like is that a person in the background is that a santa claus suit over there you know they could have had things and they didn't it's literally just watching someone pick up rocks i um, mean the dancing i mean so it's one of those things where so it, funny it was um you know, it reminds me of episodes of Beavis and Butthead where there is a music video playing, but Beavis and mm -hmm. Butthead are talking over it. So you can enjoy the music. You yeah. can enjoy them giving some history for some reason because Beavis and Butthead somehow had uh, extensive knowledge of the music industry, even though they were a bunch of dumbass teenagers. Mm. But it, it at least like you had something to pick out of every every moment. Whereas yeah. like this, it's one of those things where it, drags on enough where you're like okay the friend is not getting naked mm -hmm. and she's still dancing and the music is still playing so is this a music video it is not a music video what <laughs> is going on yeah it's so funny because of course i mean it's i think she's a very very attractive woman who's dancing but you can't for no explained reason why they're in your guess you kind of are insinuating that they're perhaps uh gonna have a lesbian tryst or something or maybe they're a couple we don't really know it's kind of weird um but she's in you know lucite stripper heels and uh negligee dancing the most awkward like um if there was a camera was just stationed in front of her it would look like a TikTok dance um and and we're getting that and it's another long scene we do have a uh, crazy santa peeking in through the windows at one point um but yeah so so again i find and i 
you and I, I think uh, of of our our regular panelists here on Cult and Classic Films are probably the two most accepting of slow pacing in films. Um, I'm big on atmosphere. If you have some atmosphere, it it makes a lot of things tolerable. This movie, uh, so things do happen. Every scene does have some sort of intent. I'm not going to say purpose because I think some could be pulled out and have no impact on the story. But um, but unlike Sister Krampus, where there are scenes where I don't understand what was the even idea was behind the scene. Um, and, and again, I actually, you said you, you felt like maybe you liked this a little more because it was a palate cleanser from Sister Krampus, which is, of course, Anthony and Mark Polonia's um, uh, recent Christmas effort. I felt like I actually enjoyed Sister Krampus more because I felt like it was a palate cleanser from their previous Christmas film, Hell on a Shelf, which was really difficult to get through because it was nothing happens the entire which film. Which I which i didn't see so yeah so so i totally get that effect you Um, you have been tainted nathan by by hell on the shelf you got tainted for this movie it's you know it's gonna be a while um but you know we started this podcast by talking about shark exorcist so um we can we can we can talk about anything here uh which now holds a place in my heart psycho santa so that's the first segment the first segment is probably the most it's the most anthology like, like it could be a short in and of itself. These two girls go to meet their friend, their friend's not there. Her car is gone. We did get a snippet of the car under the water, which is actually kind of a creative shot because it probably is a superimposed photograph underneath the water, but it's effective. We know it's a car in there. It's supposed to be um, when, when one of the friends is not getting rocks. So that was actually useful. But anyway, they notice as they're dancing after a while that there's blood seeping out of one of the presents. And then they notice all of the tags on the presents say Sarah and there's nobody else. And of course, then they realize that Sarah, their missing friend, has been murdered. And those are labels on the packages rather than like uh, to and from. Uh, It's saying, hey, this box is Sarah. This box is Sarah. This box is Sarah, which is uh, sort of a clever uh sort of gruesome clever ec comics twist and then psycho santa shows up and and we assume they're killed uh well we're told they're killed by the boyfriend in the framing story that that could be a short film in and of itself um i who knows maybe it was uh and then the next bit there's there's a couple of of bits in the middle that really are irrelevant they could be pulled out um there's a stoner kid smoking in the woods who gets his throat cut um by by psycho santa as psycho santa is off in the woods there's a scene where a girl uh with a glass of milk and a cookie i guess left out for santa but i think she actually takes a drink of it so maybe it's just for her but she's killed in her bed here's the thing about that scene that cracks me up so famous in halloween and halloween 2 and later uh halloween kills and maybe halloween ends had a scene of this too i'm not sure but anyway michael myers goes in someone's kitchen as the kill the mass killer and takes a kitchen knife out of their drawer this psycho santa goes into this this girl's house while she's in her bedroom and opens the kitchen drawer and pulls out a like gardening machete like it is it is an actual machete it is not a kitchen tool um that cracked me up because i was watching it like what who keeps a machete in their kitchen drawer like that is that is wild people um, who live in the rainforest i guess I, in their kitchen i mean come on it could go somewhere else keep it in the mudroom guys haven't you seen that video on youtube of the guy who's like in a little shack and there's like a lion outside his window i'm like that's the kind of guy who would keep a machete in his kitchen okay, well i think we're in the suburbs here 
uh, <laughs> of, of Ocean Springs. I don't know. But yeah, it's um, it, it's it, it was a funny moment because it's not given any pause, yet it's so ridiculous. In fact, he takes the sheath off of the machete that is on there from the kitchen drawer. I mean, I have kitchen drawers that wouldn't even fit a machete. Um, but anyway, so he gets a machete and he kills, he kills her and then he kills the stoner in the woods. Those are irrelevant. Then he goes and he kills uh, a little boy playing piano and his mother. And we get an extended scene where she seems like she's going to call for help and then dies. And it does have tension, but again, no impact. Um, I do believe that scene is revisited in, uh, in Psycho Santa too. So maybe it's used to better use there, but it's irrelevant in this movie. Um, it's not that. It's not that they're not watchable. It's just that they don't have any impact on the story. Um, then we get another story that is more impactful in the story, although it also is kind of, you're just like, why? Why did this happen? Uh, like, why did they make this? But two burglars break into a house, find uh, a deaf woman uh, about to take a shower, uh, steal stuff from her safe, and then drown her in the bathtub. And then they hear this knocking noise. They break open a locked room and find... Uh, our, our crazy Santa, uh, who's apparently his name is Chris, C-R-C-H-R-I-S, which I didn't know that was Santa's name, um, at least not spelled that way. And he he then kills both of them uh, and and flees. And he at that point is scarred. So we get a kind of a spooky, you know, melted, burned face bit of that. And that's when the dad enters the picture. He is then interrogated by police. And he says, yes, he was supposed to be dead, but he showed up after the insane asylum burnt down and we just we just kept him here we just locked him up rather than which i mean you know what of all the logic i could i can kind of actually see that like your child is crazy uh he's he's a murderer uh, i know crazy is not preferred term right now but he's he's mentally unwell he kills people he comes home injured you're what you either turn him over so he can go to another institution or you keep him at home locked in a room i'm not sure that's the best option uh but hey it was working for them until some burglars broke in and killed his wife so there you go anyway uh after that we get into i can't even remember this there, then we get the siblings there's two siblings whose car break down, breaks down on the way to get a christmas tree like 4 hours away from their home or something like that they say like they say that it's a crazy errand it is a crazy errand that is a bonkers banana sandwich errand 4 hours away you're in the middle of a, you can't i don't know where you are the 4 hours is where you have to go to get a tree new england um, no that's not true you know why because they were driving through a goddamn forest you could have literally gone out yeah. And chopped your own tree down. Right. And I so I'm just going to say that there's not a lot of places in the U.S. where you would have to go four hours to find a Christmas tree either to buy or, or take from the woods. But uh, any who's it's, that is, uh, that is where they're going. Their car breaks down. They go in the woods. Uh, we get this nice, actually a pretty surprisingly well done effect where there's a hole in the brother's like sleeveless down vest and it keeps spitting little bits of fluff and they use it to track he uses it to track his sister after he gives her his vest and they split up um it actually worked pretty well of course psycho santa's in the woods um the the sister escapes right uh into like a junkyard and then i don't remember i think she i think she gets away um she gets away and then the brother also survives but they say in a weird way that the the guy telling the story is like he was messed up from the start and you're like what 
I don't even get that. He doesn't even have a, there's nothing, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Uh, anyway, so the brother, while he's stumbling around the woods looking for his sister, finds a shack. He goes in, finds a murdered corpse, freaks out. And then the dad of Chris, the crazy psycho Santa, is there and says, get out. And he burns the place down with psycho Santa and himself inside. Uh, and that is, we think, the end. And then there's do, 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 do. the framing story ends with the couple meeting psycho Santa. So we know that he survived. Uh, this, as I said, this does have a story then. So I don't really consider it an anthology. Yes, many anthology, we watched an anthology series that did have a framing story. Um, uh, Snoop Dogg's uh, first anthology, um, which, you know, go back and listen yeah. to that, Jim. Uh, and let's not forget hey, you know our favorite anthology, Veronica. Oh, uh, Veronica. I forget that Veronica is an anthology and it is a legitimate anthology. Uh, I I think two thirds of of an anthology because the third part didn't have a story. The second part doesn't have a story either. I mean, it's not as it's not as bad as the third one. The third the the second one at least has stuff that happens. Um, Yeah, we'll again, Glenn Danzig, uh, send us send us your vampire western. We're we're waiting. Um, I'm I'm waiting so hard for that. I, I know, I know. Maybe we'll have to revisit Veronica and watch that back to back. We'll do a, a return to Veronica. Um, so, so anyway, and of course, if you want an actually really excellent true anthology, um, check out Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black. Um, the first one, the second one's great too, but the first one is is truly fantastic. And this, so again, I don't really see this as an anthology. Yes, there are separate scenes connected through a narrated framing story, but they're all about the same character and they are in told in a chronological fashion. So it's more like a flashback story. It's more like Forrest Gump and I don't consider Forrest Gump to be an anthology. Um, so according to the actress who played the sister in this, um, Crystal Akin Stevenson, uh, she actually did an interview with idlefeatures.com and she's been in a few low budget horror films uh, apparently according to her the brother and sister were supposed to be like the main characters in this story but the microphone was not good and wasn't working so they ended up having to ditch it and 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 the director had to film a whole bunch of other scenes to pad it out i don't know if that's totally true i'm certainly it, who knows if they did they kind of covered it up well because i wouldn't have guessed that um but at the same time we do spend kind of a long time with the siblings without a whole lot of payoff and they both survive so i mean i had, I, a, I had an impression and uh and maybe it's just because i think too far ahead but i had this weird feeling especially because of the way the story was told is that the brother was actually psycho santa and then the movie ended and he gets killed and i'm like well shit there goes my theory because he knew an awful lot about the murders oh you mean you mean the the boyfriend in the beginning boyfriend yes yeah, sorry yeah. like no yeah i i they don't... i kind of thought there would be something too because he is he's like yeah it seems more and again, we haven't watched Psycho Santa 2, but this movie standing on its own, uh, which, by the way, this movie and Psycho Santa 2 were not done by the same uh, filmmakers. So, you know, keep that in mind. I think this was intended to be its own standalone feature at the time. Don't know if that's true. But, yeah, I expected there to be something about that new because he's kind of ominous. He's kind of Grinch-like, and he he knows everything. Like, his girlfriend is like, yeah, but he's dead now, right? And he's like, well, some people think so. But basically, kind of like alluding to, but this is what really happened. You're like, how yeah, did you know it, that? Yeah, um, it's kind of a trope. Like, I half expected, like, he was going to get out of the car, 
open the trunk, yeah. get the Psycho Santa costume out, costume, and then he was going to yeah. kill her. And then I'm yeah. like, wait, what? This and that would have been kind of great, except um, like he could have added something because his face obviously isn't burned, but he could have added something like uh, skin grafts do an amazing thing now, blah blah blah. <laughs> like it could have been they could have made it work because that actually would have been pretty great. Um, and you no, know, it wouldn't have made a huge amount of sense. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. Why? Why do these have to make sense? They, they don't. Not a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I felt that was kind of where it was heading, and when it didn't. In fact, the framing story end is actually quite. I would say a little, it's anticlimactic to the point where I would say it's almost disappointing. We don't see the murder of them. We just see like a sliver of the the boyfriend from under the um, trunk because he's going to check to see if they forgot the gifts they were going to bring before they get all the way to the party. And which, by the way, is crazy because I certainly would have been like, I'm like, if we forgot it and this is a multi-hour track, we're not turning around. Um, uh, yes. We'll mail that shit to them. Yeah, exactly. Important. Um, and, but anyway, he gets out, checks the trunk. And then we see like in the line between the, the trunk and the rest of the car that like, there's a Santa that walks up behind him and then the girlfriend's face freaks out. And then that's the end of the movie. I would have preferred some actual, like something a little more potent, you know, like his head rolling across. Like we, we've seen this a million times, right? The girlfriend's in the car, the boyfriend's out of the car, the boyfriend gets killed. She sees the severed hand or severed head or, or whatever, um, they could have done a little more. That was too abrupt. It wasn't enough. There was gore in this movie, um, much, much more very cheaply done, but much more effectively done than, say, Psycho Santa. It is wet. There is copious amounts of fake blood. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I was fine with it. Like, there's enough visual interest between the the, the nudity and then the um, the the burned faceness. And then they do some crazy camera effects, very you know, early 2000s, like, um, color distortion effects as Psycho Santa kills one of the burglars by jabbing one of those candy cane lane signs through his eye. Uh, it was, it was satisfying. So I enjoyed that. I thought that that was worth it. Um, it elevated it a little bit, gave us something to look forward to. So I was really hoping for another one at that end, but that last story with the brother and sister, uh, didn't have any of those things. Um, it didn't have any of those things and you wanted it to have at least one, one like shocker moment. It had a dead body in a tub with a lot of blood, which, you know, that that's, that's okay. That's one, but no action or anything really. So I don't get that. It, there's a neat little thing where psycho Santa, like Chris uh, kind of goes into like a, a, a trance when he hears a specific I forget what's the is it jingle bells what is the song it's it, a specific christmas song he goes into like a trance um and allows oh, some people to get away it's silent night silent night duh duh i'm as as there are many things but anyway uh so that was a neat little touch that that came into play once really twice and didn't really have any lasting effects but that's okay so i don't yeah so overall this movie fits really solidly into the shot on video hidden films i'm not gonna say hidden gem necessarily but i enjoyed it um it's slow but it's evenly paced at that speed so when you watch it like as long as you let yourself just go with the flow and get into it you're not going to be disappointed there's no like big lull like how how say sister krampus had like stuff happening in the beginning stuff happening at the end and then the middle has nothing happening just a bunch of the same conversations back and forth at the same tables in the same bedroom. Like this actually had different things happening throughout. And I think that the way they structured it, uh, which, which caused some people to call it, I think erroneously an anthology um, 
helped it because at least even if I'm not in love with a particular segment, I know it's going to end in a few minutes and we'll get to a different segment. Um, and that sort of helped it along, which is sort of the benefit of anthologies. So they kind of got the anthology benefit without actually doing a, a, a separate anthology stories. They just made it structured in that way. Uh, so Tad, let's move on to recommendations because we have sort of talked a shit out of this movie, uh, at which again, I don't think people really, you, most people, not necessarily our listeners, most people will see a bad movie and they'll be like, that was a bad movie. And that's the end of it. They file it in bad movie and then they move on with their life to be forgotten later. There's stuff to analyze here, especially from an independent filmmaker like standpoint. Like there's a reason why this was structured the way it was. It is to the film's benefit. That said, there are certainly things that could have been improved. But anytime you get a cast together and you make a movie uh, that is actually like about an hour in length, give or take, you deserve some kudos. And I think it's wild that that Peter Kier did not make another movie um, beyond this, the film after this. So he only made two films because I kind of feel like for a, a first shot on video feature length, Psycho Santa had some stuff to like. Uh, and and I, I'm some films we get here at the studio and we're like, cool, uh, we talked about that. Pass it along to somebody else. I don't need to check this ever again. Psycho Santa will stay in the Cult of Classic Films library. I think it has a place. Uh, Tad, what do you think? Do you recommend Psycho Santa from 2003 to, to our listeners? Uh, if so, why and for who? I do. And we are permanently cursed to always be trying to extract positive or negative value out of these movies. We can't just go good or bad. I am now forced to determine why. And I don't get paid for it. <laughs> It's I true. It's true. I do this for free. It's true. But, um, I no, I actually really liked this. I actually would recommend it. It's just one of those things where you I don't want to say you have to be in the mood, but obviously it's a Christmas movie. So you you the best thing for you to do is kind of wait until the end of the year, get your Christmas movie rotation in and then kind of figure out where you're going to squeeze this in. You want to squeeze this in right after a really shitty movie maybe maybe you're a you uh you you're you're in a family where they have to watch they absolutely have to watch it's a wonderful life and you've watched it 12 times already every year and you're sick of that shit and then you're like you know what i'm done with this let's watch psycho santa right after this and then your family's appalled and that Merry is a christmas tree night. yes yeah. um overall i was very pleased largely and granted i could be biased I enjoyed this movie a lot because I saw positive things in this that I could not see in Sister Krampus. Your results may vary, but overall, I would probably watch this again and go, this was a silly movie. I would still cut 20, 30 minutes out of it. Sure. But I still took a decent amount. I, I would have, I would meet the person who make, made this movie and I went, kudos to you, sir. Fantastic work. Yeah, and it, and if anybody knows, I don't know anything about Peter Kier. I can't find really any solid information. Um, uh, let him know that we talked about. I would love to have him on the pod to talk about this experience and and uh, Wolfika. And I I agree. I also like this movie. The thing about this movie is it is kind of the perfect double feature movie to purchase, um, which is why I love that uh, Ron Bonk at SRS Cinema did 
released this both on DVD and Blu-ray as the Psycho Santa 1 and 2 set. Not only because 2 had never been released for, you know, the 15 years or so uh, since its creation, but also because it feels nice to have two movies when one of them may not be your cup of tea or is a little weaker. Even if the second movie on it is even worse somehow, um, you have, you're like, I got two movies though. <laughs> I got two, which sounds crazy, but that's how our minds work. And that's why double features are great. So check out Psycho Santa. Um, I actually think it's up for free as well on YouTube. Uh, if you'd like to check it out, I think it's worth it. We've got, a, you know, uh, yes, technically, as you're listening to this, Christmas 2022 is over, but you can stay in the holiday season for the rest of the year. You might as well. You might as well, because you're going to have brand new issues to deal with in 2023. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate us uh, all the stars wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, like, subscribe. Um, you can follow us at Instagram on Instagram at Colton Classic. Uh, podcast. You can go to our website, coltonclassicfilms.com. Please also sign up for our upcoming newsletter. You can do that on the website. Follow us on Facebook, Colton Classic Podcast. And uh, please watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. We are still slowly getting the episodes uploaded there. So you can see our smiling faces, sometimes grimacing faces, uh, sometimes just plain confused faces, uh, depending on what we've just watched. Thank you, guys. I am your host, Nate Wyckoff. Please have a safe and happy new year. And we will catch you in 2023. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.